You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and the only podcast of its kind or the first out of the gate anyways. Before we move on, I want to talk to you about what's affecting all of us, and that is that the world is in an uproar, and America specifically is smoldering among some much-needed and sweeping changes that are long overdue. If you're feeling overwhelmed when it comes to bringing money in the door, I want to encourage you to check out some resources that will help you to brainstorm the different ways you can work from home. And there are 75 of them to be exact. Sickbiz.com slash resources has a PDF just for you that has 75 different ideas of what you can do to make money while staying at home right now, today, this very minute. So be good to yourself and fear not. There are definite ways to make money. Head over to sickbiz.com slash resources and learn how to do that for yourself. Ease up your wallet and ease up that belt. Drew Linsalata is a returning guest. You might remember that I had him on the show earlier and he talked about a radical way to manage and decrease your anxiety attacks. Now, he is going to tell you more about his journey and specifically his journey that led to him writing two fresh new books in the last 18 months. That's two babies he's birthed. Both of these books, The Anxious Truth, a step-by-step guide to understanding and overcoming panic, anxiety, and agoraphobia. And the second book, An Anxiety Story, How I Recovered from Anxiety, Panic, and Agoraphobia, became immediate bestsellers. And I coined him with the nickname Accidental Bestseller because of it. You'll learn why. And for good reason. Drew is lighting up anxiety and sharing where he has come from. He is his own testimonial. And amidst everything that felt like it was attacking him, Drew did an about face and confronted his anxiety. That's how tired of it he was. That's how over it he was. Of course, he did this all while running his own businesses. So I'm telling you, he is both the audience for Sick Biz Buzz as well as the optimal guest. Please welcome the modern day obstacle slayer, warm as toast cheerleader, and incomparable leader, my very, very good and precious friend, Drew Lynn Salata. <laughs> I feel like we've done this before. I feel Could like be wrong. it's really a little deja vu happening today. Right? A little bit. A little bit. That's <laughs> okay. Thank you for a very, very, very nice introduction. That was so over the top. I can't even stand it. Oh, it was my great. God. It's true. Do it again? Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I'll send you the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting them up on my fridge with a gold star. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And for people listening, um, and they're aware of this because I am a forgetful flossy. Okay. And I forget to hit the freaking <clears throat> record button. So people know this and who are my, you know, my everyday listeners are like, Oh, there she goes again. Mm. Putting the guests through the paces of, uh, repeating herself so that's your that's your coronation that's your Christmas. it's all good yeah absolutely. it's all good i like listening to you i listen to you no big deal <laughs> you're so like mr roll with the punches that's go with shirt. the flow man yeah man you yeah. should have a shirt like that mr go with the flow just go with the flow man 
Love it. I love it. So you know what? When I was checking on your last episode, because I like to make sure we talk about different things and don't piggyback um, too often. So I was looking back. You were last on here in February of 2019. Oh, before like everything went on fire, you mean? Like yeah. figuratively and then literally? Figuratively. Yes, exactly. As we're just all kind of trying to get comfy in the dumpster fire. That is America. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But yes, so it's crazy. And that's approximately what? It's about a year and a half. So it feels like it. Yeah. And since you were last on, you've accomplished a lot. And before we jump into your books, I want to chat about you. So I want to kind of catch people up. But at the same time, we're going to dive more deeply into your psyche. So last time we talked about you were staring anxiety down. And this is how you are going to do it with the, I call it the exposure method, but I'm probably not. Um, That's pretty good. I'm kind of encapsulating it. Okay. But so now I want to talk about you. Yeah. So let's do your elevator speech. That's what I tell people when they get on here and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> elevator speech. That's yeah. enough, enough about you. Let's talk about me. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's my least comfortable thing to do. Exactly. Uh, the elevator speech. What can I tell you? It's like I all the stuff that I write about, that I talk about, that I podcast about, that I pontificate about on social media and like 18 different channels. I feel like I'm everywhere now. Like it's all stuff that I actually lived. So my story in like in a nutshell is that I lived like 1986 to, to like a long time, 20 something years of on and off battles with like crippling anxiety disorders, like oh. panic disorder and agoraphobia, clinical depression and that sort of stuff. So basically I am just here to send the message of the, the tools that I used to, to get past these problems, which are not tools I invented. I just use them and I appear to be good at explaining to people. Um, so my job is just pay. And when I needed help the most, when the internet did exist, finally, because my first two go arounds, there really was no internet because you know, I'm a little bit old. Um, when the internet finally did exist, like I got all kinds of help and cheerleading and support for some really amazing people, uh, many of which I'm still friends with to this day. And I feel like, you know, I got help from people when I needed it. So my job was to pay it forward. And, and it feels like all the stuff that I went through isn't for nothing. So that's yeah. why I just take my experience and my knowledge and the fact that I'm a total behavioral sciences nerd and uh, kind of roll it into a thing that I enjoy doing, which is like putting the information out there and cheerleading and encouraging people and inspiring them and showing them a new way to do this, which always seems like completely foreign to most of the people that stumble upon the podcast and are like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, it, isn't, yeah. isn't yeah. that strange when you hear that, when you hear people say that and you're like... I can't be the only person who's addressing it this way. Well, I mean, I know that I'm not. There are other people online that, are, that have similar podcasts and things of that nature that, that do take a similar approach to me. I probably just have the most, uh, I'm going to say the most aggressive voice in the, in the space because, you know, I, I'm such a believer in the way that you solve the anxiety disorder problem mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I'm, I'm really... I'm going to say aggressive, but, you know, I'm really passionate, and I hate that word. Why? No, you can't just get it. Oh, God. Oh, why, why I hate the word passionate? Oh, because yeah. everybody. You really want to know? Everybody has a passion. If I see one more Facebook or LinkedIn profile that tells me what their passion is, I'm going to hurl. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally going to hurl. Like, I'm done with passion now. I think we're all passionate. Can we get on with it now? Um, 
So in, in the end, I think other people do talk about this, maybe not in as depth, as much depth that I do, mm-hmm. um, or maybe not in as focused a way, because I'm always addressing a specific problem and people come to me with this specific problem and other problems like trauma and health problems and things like that, mm-hmm. which you all have to do together. But mm. nonetheless, the anxiety disorder is a specific part of the problem. And I was addressing that in a very specific way. So um, yeah, there's that. And it leads to like tremendous results. I get to see amazing human beings literally go from like lost, confused, afraid, like timid, stuck in the house to like getting their life back. That's it, it, amazing. That's it's such a good feeling and such a great thing to see. And then they hang around in my like social media community and start to help other people. So like, what's better than that? Nothing. Totally. I'll answer my question. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you are the easiest guest I have ever had on in you my- You can just go get some coffee if you want. Right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're obviously comfortable behind the microphone, which is fantastic. It means that you've been at this for a long time. How long has your podcast been on the air? Five years, five years, uh, 110 episodes. Really, it's the last year and a half that I've I've published very regularly on a weekly, biweekly basis. For the first three years or so, it was kind of whenever I felt like talking about something. Mm-hmm. So it's taken me five years to get to 110 episodes. But, but yeah, I spend a tremendous amount of time behind a microphone in front of a camera. Ain't no thing for me. That's amazing. And the podcast that everybody's following along is called The Anxious Truth. And in those five years, though, you rose like a majestic lion in a sunset. I mean, just because you have, you seriously, you have so many listeners. And what's your listener count at right now? We're, it's up there where we'll probably, I mean, I would say a million listeners, but a million listens. We'll probably hit a million listens sometimes before the end of this year, I'm going to say. Now, look, I'm no Joe Rogan, but you know, in a niche like anxiety disorders, I would say it's pretty good. And you know how I know the listener base is growing and I know the, po- the podcast is getting more and more popular. First of all, you can see the stats. But second of all, I, at least two or three times a week, I get other people who now unsolicited reach out to me and, with their publicists because they want to come on my show. So that must mean something. Um, yes. It's a thing, right? Yes. That no, that's do, it, I want, I think, do I want that to happen? <laughs> I don't know. I think pick and choose. Definitely. Don't want to oh, just yeah. be like, you know, and, yeah, man, what you got going on? Just, you know, does it match? Is it, is it in keeping? When you start rising, other little creatures start popping out of the woodwork. That's my dog sneezing in the background. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> sneezing. <laughs> I have hay fever. Your dog is sneezing. Excellent. I know. Well, you know what? It's like this photo synth it, and that's not right. That's incorrect. No. I don't know what Fair. I'm trying to say. I'm Osmosis? not even going to edit that out. Yeah, don't, don't edit that out. <laughs> no, we don't edit anything. It's all good. So let's go back in time. Tell us about the first time you had an anxiety attack. And it was surprising, wasn't it? Because you didn't have like this treacherous life. You didn't, no. you know... You're not an orphan. I'm sorry to all the orphans. That was terrible. Um, if it makes you feel better, I'm related to one. Anyways, right. but, you, but you didn't have, like, you had a good life. You know what I mean? And, and everything was going really well. And then, boom, anxiety hits. Yeah. So that's exactly true. Um, I, I was never like an anxious person ever a day in my life. I mean, at the time I was only 19, it was 1986. 
uh, when it first happened, the first time it ever happened. And it's a night I'm never going to forget. And it did come completely and utterly out of the blue. I had never even heard the term panic attack before. Mm. But I was like the bulletproof guy. I was afraid of nothing. I was nervous about nothing. You know, like typical, never studied for things, still graduated number seven in the class and like never practiced his instruments, but yet was an all state, you know, orchestra member and, you know, choice of music schools and all that stuff. So I, oh, my dog has to chime in now. <laughs> But uh, he cannot be upstaged by Volpert. It's not going to happen. But uh, so, yeah, that, there was that going on in my life. Everything was going great. And suddenly, boom, like it hit me. And I spent the better part of, you know, an entire night just assuming that this is what it feels like when you die. And it was terrifying yeah, and yeah. confusing. I had no idea what was going on. And as can happen, I was one of those lucky people that had a panic attack and almost instantaneously developed panic disorder, which is where you, you know, you get worried about having the next one. Like most people in the world will have a panic attack of some kind once in their life, but a large percentage of people are really just say like, oh, that sucked. And then they just move on and never think about it again. Um, Who can do that? that, that uh, most amazing. people, as it turns out. <laughs> wow. So are you, you're the reason like disclaimers were written then if you're not most people, right? Yeah, I think like most people, <laughs> and I have to remind my audience at, all the time. Like, you know, most people have those, have a panic attack once in a while and just don't even think about it. Um, and people, they think the same thing. You're like, I can't imagine that anybody can see without glasses. It just seems impossible to me. Well, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you, but okay. Well, that is crazy. And we'll get into that offline. But <laughs> <wait>. <laughs> okay. So you have this, you have this panic attack. And then that same night after you calm down, you have another panic attack. And yeah. then this is the kickoff. This is the jump start into having anxiety disorder. That's what you called it, right? Anxiety yeah. disorder. Okay. Yeah. So, so that would have been called panic disorder. So the difference between um, panic attacks and panic disorder is the disorder is what we call it when you start to modify your lifestyle because you don't want another one to happen. Oh. And so you begin to associate specific places and events and people with panic and you decide, well, if I had a panic attack in the car, then I can't drive anymore. If I had a panic attack in the supermarket, I can't be in the supermarket. If I had a panic attack, while I was alone at home that I can't be home alone anymore. Um, and panic disorder is what comes next. And then that leads unchecked to things like agoraphobia where like the world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was going right down that road after that you first were. panic attack. Oh, textbook. Absolutely. Textbook. So difficulty driving, difficulty mm -hmm. going to work. So these mm -hmm. are the, the different ways. You kind of made rules for yourself. These are the different ways that you were like, I'm still going to participate in my life but I have to have rules to keep me safe. So, but you had to get out of the house and you had to go to work. So how did you manage that? Um, you kind of grin and bear it. And so what most mm -hmm. people wind up doing, and, and this is sad, but a lot of people wind up living their, you know, very long portions of their life this way, which is I have this thing. I hate it. I'm terrified of every sensation in my body. I'm terrified of the thoughts that I have. I don't want my heart to beat fast. I think I'm going to die every single time it happens. So yeah. I need to find ways to sort of make it so that it never happens. Yeah. So I will only go out with my safe people, the people who make me feel like I'm going to be safe, who will save me if I panic. I will only go to certain places. I can only go this far from home. I can drive, but I can't drive on the highway or the freeway, only on the side streets this way I can get help. I, I can't, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of modification that goes on. Mm -hmm. And over time, that modification can either just lead to living an exhausting life where you're just, you know, you're 
you're gripping against fear and you're bracing against fear all day and everything you do, mm-hmm. or the modifications just keep changing, become more and more and more extreme. And that's where you get somebody who's stuck in their house or even stuck in a room in their house. That's oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. Oh, um, my heart goes yes. out. Yep. So you, you build all these safety rules. And, and for me, it was like, you don't drive on the highway. You only drive on the side streets. Um, you know, only be with people that you consider safe. Usually those are the close people in your life, your partner, your spouse, a, a sibling, a close friend, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you develop all kinds of crazy rules. Like I can only eat certain things because I'm pretty sure that if I eat mangoes, I will have a panic attack. It's once I had a panic attack after I ate a mango. So therefore they must cause panic and you mm. stop eating mangoes. Like you develop all kinds of stuff like that. And it's exhausting. Wow. So yeah. then you stop eating mangoes. You still have the panic attack. And then you have to say, okay, well, what was it this time? So it's mangoes and potatoes. So now right. I can't have mangoes and potatoes. Yep. And I can't, yeah. You know what? I don't like driving on the highway anyways, but that's just a preference of mine because people are crazy. And yeah. we have, I have less of a chance of dying. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, well, that's fair. I mean, statistically, that's probably fair. <laughs> it is fair. I might be mangled a little bit, but yeah, yeah. I might not die. So, but it's interesting because you start to make these rules and you were living your life with these rules. And that's crazy. What was the, what was the turning point for you where you said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I can't, this is ridiculous. Well, I, I went through it and that's the first book, the an anxiety story it tells the whole story. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. that was the first one I published, but I went through, we published, excuse me, um, <laughs> that I went through that three different times in my life. In 1986, I went through it. I went through it again around uh, 2005, 2006, which was exacerbated when I stopped taking antidepressants and I went through the whole withdrawal thing. Yeah. And then again in 2008, 2009, that was when I finally said, all right, that, this is ridiculous. Uh, the turning point to me, for me was really then I was uh, – I was a dad. So I had my two girls and they were young at the time. And Mm -hmm. I found myself finding every excuse in the world to not participate in certain parts of their life. Like I can't, I can't take you to, you know, horseback riding lessons. I can't, I can't take you Christmas shopping for mom's Christmas gift. Like I just was doing so much of that. And I finally said, that's no, that's enough of that. That's, that's enough. Um, You know, and, and I was tired of like, holding my business back and holding everything in my life back. It was getting ridiculous. And I just got so over myself, to be honest with you, like I cannot do this anymore that I decided that I'm done with this. You got to fix this. I understand. I understand. That's when I uh, confronted, like, well, I used to have a very different outlook and it was always everybody else's fault, you know, and I had just been given this crap hand of life and whatever, and nothing was ever going to work out. And I, yeah. and it was the same thing. I just got sick of it. I was like, wow, how's this working for you? Well, it's not. I'm sick of it and I'm sick of myself and I'm sick of my excuses. I think you kind of have to get to that point. I you don't, do. you know, but it's too bad that people have to get to that point. Maybe, well, maybe somebody's listening who can say, I just don't, I just don't like that part about myself. And so I'm going to change it right now. And tell me the name of your dog again. Copper. Yeah, copper. there's, there's oh, people yeah. in the yard in the yard right now. So copper is <laughs> trying to like, he, sorry, he's along for the ride now. That's the way it's going to be. He's fine. He's, yeah. We're dog people. So it's there fine. You know. If you're not a dog person, I don't know, get help. Apologies. Oh, right. Yeah. Hold yeah. your cat's ears because you're going to hear copper the whole rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Hill, the one, one thing that I find super interesting is like I had to get to that point and I agree 100%. Like usually the turning point for most people, they either get, they either catch it 
quick in the beginning, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. So when somebody who's relatively new to the anxiety thing finds like my podcast or whatever and, and learns right away, like, oh, there's a, this is the way you do this. That's excellent. But most people like suffer for a long time and they try all the avoidance mm-hmm. and all the, I'm going to try and cure every symptom one by one. And, I'm, and it must, it's an external thing and everybody has to accommodate me and nobody understands how hard this is. You have to get to the point where you're fed up with that. Here's the amazing thing. This is how powerful this disorder is. I knew what I had to do. Yeah. I never, you know, I absolutely knew the whole time. I, there was never a doubt in my mind that I knew what I had to do. I just didn't do it until I, until I got fed up and then did it. So I, I cannot say that I went through the whole, like, I'm confused. Is it herbal? Is it, is it trauma? Is it, do I have to talk about my mom? Do I have to like eat certain foods? Do I have to have a central loss? I never went through any of those things. I knew what the solution was. I just had to actually do it. So did and you- so imagine people who don't know what the solution is. Oh, it's incredibly difficult for them. Well, totally. Or, or like you're saying, you knew what it is. Were you afraid to do it? Everybody is afraid to do it because Mm -hmm. the solution lies in going directly into the things that you are terrified to do. So when you are terrified to drive, then you must drive. When you are terrified to stay home alone, you must stay home alone. When you are terrified to have a panic attack, you must let panic happen. Uh, without trying to stop it or run from it or flee from it or beat it back or figure out why. You just have to learn that, oh yeah, this always makes me super uncomfortable and, and, and afraid, but, but never in danger. I always wind up okay. Mm-hmm. And then you learn to not be afraid of it. So that's the object. And that's super hard. It's counterintuitive. Well, it yeah. Oh, it, it's counterintuitive. It's, it totally is. We instinctively and automatically go toward comfort and away from discomfort and fear. Right. And what I'm telling people to do is like, oh, no, no you got to turn around when the fear is chasing. You got to turn, run right back at it, at it. And uh, the yeah. difficult thing for people to come to grips with. So, well, yes, it's scary to do it. You are one of the kids in Stephen King's It book in the Losers Club, and they've got to go down into the bowels of the earth and confront it. That's yeah. you, instead of like, you know what, let's just move away. We'll just move right. to Denver and that's where we're living. We'll just let this thing, this writhing, pulsating thing exist over here. And hopefully I don't ever come into contact with it. You are actually climbing down that, that ladder into the bowels of the earth and walking toward it. It's going to eat you. It's terrible. And it doesn't matter what symptom you have. I don't think whether you feel like you can't breathe or you're, you know, you're having a heart attack or whatever, you always feel like you're going to die. Yep. It's this impending sense of doom. So the hardest thing to do is like when you're looking at that lion anxiety is be like, I'm just going to open up these jaws and climb right on it. Yeah. And I think you have to, it starts with the premise and people freak out when I talk about that all the time. That I I talk about doing hard things, not dangerous things, but the disorder is driven by the fact that we've somehow associated being afraid with being in danger, which most times in life is true. If somebody points a gun at you or you're hanging by your fingernails off the side of the Empire State Building, you should be afraid because you are actually in danger. But in this situation, it's, it's a faulty connection. Like that's fight or flight triggered when it doesn't need to be there. So yeah. you've somehow decided yeah. I'm in danger, I'm in danger, but you're not. And the only way to know you're not is to go right into that danger, what you think is danger, mm-hmm. and you wind up being okay. And, and then your lizard brain learns to experience like, oh, that wasn't actually danger. I was wrong. Who knew? You know, it'd be um, nice if like God would retire the lizard brain and just be oh like, God. you know what? I'm looking <laughs> over these two body parts. Appendix has got to go. And then lizard brain. How about you guys? Are we good? We'll do a Are we good? 
Yeah. Maybe tailbone also, because I, I hear nothing good about the tailbone. I don't know why we have that. So if we're on this kick, let's get rid of that too. Could we? Um, we can. We can. And then the next humans will be like more evolved and not have to deal with this because it's crazy when you talk about it. It's crazy. Yeah, but- it's like, here's this, it's almost feels like, here's this thing I created that, to feel like, I am going to die, even though I'm not going to die. So it's like your brain splitting hairs and, um, it, and it can absolutely ruin your life. It can. And, and, you know, in fairness, like to the lizard brain, the brain, um, mm-hmm. your lizard brain does serve a purpose. Like it's a good thing that we have it, you know, we're, we're joking about it, but we need it because if there really is danger, that's what your lizard brain is there to do. That's what the fear center in your brain is like, Oh, there's danger here. Let's mobilize the forces to either put up a fight, get the hell out of here, whatever it is we have to do. Just that it's so easily fooled. Like, you know, maybe there's a little design flaw in there somewhere. It needed some extra logic built in that it didn't seem to have for some of us. It did need some. It was like this was built for the masses and not for, you know, the few, I guess. I don't know. Yes, I believe that's true. Okay. So anxiety was screwing up your business. It was screwing up your life. It was screwing up your parenting. And you got it under control. And you've been living this way now under control for quite some time. Why did you feel the need to write the new anxiety Bible? That is what I refer to it as. It is, it is the anxiety Bible because it is a monster, man. It is a monster book, but it encompasses so much. And um, I think it's very common sense writing as well. So people are able to, you can even kind of skip around once you read it, you can kind of skip around and go back to specific parts of it. So what was the compulsion behind writing this? Um, It's funny that what made me write it was like all of my podcast listeners and the people in my social media communities who kept saying, you really should write a book. You should write, you should write this down. This should be a book. This should be a book. And I heard that for like the last few years. Mm -hmm. And finally I'm like, all right, fine. I'll write a book. Like, uh, okay, I'll do it. And that's what made me do it. And honestly, the goal, first of all, let me circle back for two seconds, 30 seconds. Under control is something I never want to say. Like, the, we're never trying to like say, well, now I manage my anxiety or I have it under control. Mm-hmm. The way I live is unafraid of it. Like, if I have a panic attack right now, I truly could not be in the least interested. And if you're listening to me say that and say that sounds impossible and crazy, think again, it is not crazy and it is possible. So when, you, when, you don't, when you're not afraid of it anymore, then magically it, it's sort of under control, but not because you try to control it. That being said, the book is all about like, let me take all of these words mm-hmm. as you can See, I'm not short of them. So when <laughs> let me take all these words that I speak into microphones and that I type on Facebook comments on an Instagram and Twitter and all these places and questions that I answer again and again and again. And let me start to organize it because there's a giant body of work here. And let me organize it in a way that I can walk somebody from afraid, anxious, confused, lost, not confident, thinking they're broken through, let me show you how you got here. Let me show you what the real nature of this problem is. Let me show you what the actual solution is. Now let's talk about how to make a plan to, to accomplish that, to, to put the solution in place. And now let's talk about how to execute that. So I wrote it like a classroom. Okay. Like, let's take all the stuff that I ever say and put it in sequence in great detail and almost like you're taking a course on how to recover from an anxiety disorder. And, and, and th- 
Yes. Yeah. And you know what? And if you read it, so here's what is an interesting phenomenon. And I talked to a therapist about this the other day because I'm in a new therapy. Uh, I have a new therapist and it involves some meditation and holy mm-hmm. shit, it's like, it's like therapy for my psyche. That's all I'm going to say. I'll be talking about this woman uh, more and more on my show. But anyways, so <clears throat> when you read it and when you even begin to think about attacking your anxiety, it's enough to give you an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage people because that that describes me right now. I'm trying to do the work, but it is it's frightening for me. So I have to piecemeal it. You know, I have to read it, digest it, step away, come back, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to do that. You and you have other people who are doing that too. They're kind of like um, dancing around a little bit. Yeah. Which is super common. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the context, see, look, here's the beauty for me, I think. Like this book, and yeah, it's a big book and it's super detailed and it's like a course on how to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. But it really kind of goes hand in hand with the, with the podcast and with mm-hmm. the, the social media community. So a lot of people hear it and they say, yes, I get, this is what I want. I want to do this. But it takes them a very long time of watching other people, like in the Facebook group, do it yes. before them. Yes. Like, okay, that person did it. This person did it. This is true. What he's saying is true. Like this actually works. And they have to get to that point where they're like, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. And so the book by itself, I think I wrote it in a specific sequence to allow for that. Like I need to teach you what this is before I'm going to tell you to go and jump in the car, which you're terrified to do. Yeah. But just because you may read the whole thing, and I do have a few people who are already reading who said like, oh, I had to put the book down a little bit and take a break because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. causing them to be anxious because I'm telling them they have to do scary things. Right. But then they get to right. stop. They, they step away a little bit. They come into the Facebook group and post about it. And we talk about it. And then they can go back to read a little bit more. So that's the beauty of living now and writing now and having the ability to tie it all together like that instead of it just being like well here's a book run with it like yeah and because you have support you have all of this yes. built-in support and you've got people i think this is critically important it's almost like a support group that you mm-hmm. would go to but it's virtual in nature i'm in the group so i can see people that are doing the very things that you're talking about so if they haven't been out of their house for example we yeah. see people cheering them on for walking down to the end of the block which they haven't been done, which they haven't done before, or they haven't done in a very, very long time. And, and so I think that that's critically important to understand. And there within the book, you list out all the resources for people so that they don't feel alone. And, but the, the thing is that if you're listening and you're like, you know what, um, I'm introverted. I'm not really comfortable that way. You have to take responsibility for your recovery, right? It's not, it's not like here's all the tools and then giving yourself the excuses to not reach out and not be part of things and not be active in your own recovery. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. Like one, and I know that sounds brutal and I'm, thank you for bringing it up um, mm-hmm. so that I'm not always the one bringing it up. But <laughs> yeah, it's one of the key things that that makes this method work is the day that you decide no one has to understand. No one has to accommodate me. No one has to realize how hard it is. No one has to be okay that I can't go to grandma's birthday party or out to dinner or, Mm. you know, that I don't want anybody. No one has to understand that this is on me. I'm the only one that can fix it and I will fix it 
I will fix it. Like that is a hard thing for a lot of people to put their brain around. So the work itself is scary and difficult on a personal level. It is difficult for some people to get to the point because look, the reality is most of the support that they've ever gotten, especially online and on the internet and even from their friends and family. And I understand why there's love involved is, is revolves around soothing, reassuring, coddling. I want to make you feel better. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But that never solves the problem. So it's really difficult for a lot of people to say, I guess I'm going to have to do this. Like my husband can't do it. My wife can't do it. My kids can't do it. I'm going to have to do Drew can't do it for me. The group can't do it for me. I'm going to have to do it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a powerful day for people when they get to that. It's a tremendously powerful day. 100%. And you have to own it every step of the way. So, you know, to like, see people do that though, Hill, I mean, you're in the group, you see that to see people who make that leap and say, Oh my God, I did it. Mm-hmm. So the greatest thing that you see change with people when they start to embrace this is they always talk about anxiety as it, it, you know, it popped up, it's back. It, it's killing me. It made my anxiety high. It caused it like, and they talk about it as an external thing. And yeah. then all of a sudden they begin to reference the process in the first person. I did this. I did this. I drove. I sat down. I meditated. I tried it. I did the breathing exercise for five minutes. It's incredibly empowering because all of a sudden they discover like, oh my God, I'm actually steering this ship. That, and that's incredible. And it, that comes part and parcel with um, taking responsibility at all stages of the journey. So it's not like you talked about, you know, it's not blaming it on people and saying like, um, for example, I can't go to grandma's birthday party. You know, it's in another state or whatever the case is. Right. And, and you can't say, and my husband is making me feel bad about that. Or my wife is making me feel bad about that. You have to center the responsibility on you. I'm Mm -hmm. not there yet. I can't go to grandma's birthday party. It is causing these emotions in other people. And once you start doing that, you start moving toward taking that responsibility. So I think that's I think that's super, super important to talk about too, is that you have to participate in this and you have to every step of the way, if I can't leave the house, I can't go here, I can't go to my job, it's causing this thing. Yes, it's causing this thing, but you're responsible. Don't put that on somebody else because you're not quite there yet. And we're not blaming you, but it's no. it's you know, it's saying, I think responsibility or self-ownership is a double-edged sword because it's like, look how powerful you can be on one side. And over here, like, look how horribly you can self-sabotage yourself if you want to. Yes, that's, that's true. You can go both ways. Mm-hmm. I think what you just said is super important too. Like we're not blaming anybody. Nobody chooses to do this. Right. So when we say all the time, like, well, only you can fix you in this and you have to take responsibility for it and you have to stop insisting that the world accommodate this. Right. It's not, uh, some people do take that as an insult a little bit. Like, well, I didn't choose this. No, no, I know you didn't choose it. You accidentally got into some bad brain habits. That's okay. We all make mistakes. So you can fix those. But Sometimes one of the wrinkles, I, I don't think people blame, they blame anxiety like it's, a, like it's its own monster. Mm-hmm. So I don't know too many people who actually blame other people. You know, they'll, oh, geez, you know, my sister and I had a big fight and she always makes me, she makes me panic. Well, yeah. no, she doesn't make you panic. She makes you angry or upset. And that makes you panic 
because right. you become afraid of your own body and mind. Right. And the other thing that the wrinkle that we should probably address, because uh, I always feel obligated to say this, is those people who come to this, this come to the table, who have experienced a lot of trauma in their past, abusive relationships, abuse, abandonment, things like that. Those people, it's, it's harder for them. There's an extra wrinkle there for them to accept like, well, I'm responsible for this because truly they are not responsible for things that have been done to them in life. Like no one is responsible. You are not responsible if you have been abused or abandoned or neglected as a child, but you are not responsible for that. Right. But in the end, so we have to honor that and you have to work on that too. And that adds a wrinkle to this recovery process that I, I always try and acknowledge. It doesn't make it impossible. It just adds a little extra wrinkle to it. And, but even then, in the case of somebody who has an anxiety disorder and a traumatic past, understanding that like, well, that was the past and these people did terrible things for me, but I can control what I do going forward mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a huge, huge, huge step for people to take. And I'm, I'm like privileged to be able to see a lot of people take that step. I, I truly consider it a, like a gift and a privilege to be able to watch human beings have that light bulb moment and know like, oh man, I'm, I have power. I am in control here. It's incredible. Right. And I think it's important that you address that because there are going to be some people and myself included, because I just have a just decades long trauma longer than your arm. Um, but you can incorporate other tools as you're doing this. So you can incorporate therapy. You yeah. can incorporate other things that you need to do to help you address that trauma at the same time so that you continue to walk forward because people with trauma, and I'm just speaking for me, if you don't have a place of security to come back to or you don't trust your brain because trauma has made it where you question your decisions in your right. life, then it's really hard to have that base. But I think that's why incorporate the therapy. I mean, this is the end all be all. This is where you want to go. You want to be able to sit there and have an anxiety attack and, and carry on with eating at the restaurant or carry on with driving the car and just, it's right. almost like a, do you subconsciously kind of notice it like rippling through you like, oh, this is happening, but uh, whatever, I'm just going to let it do its thing. And I will tell you, Drew, I have had some anxiety attacks like that where I've just been like, you know what? I, I can't do this right now. I'm busy. I have to get this done. <laughs> and it's funny because when we're quiet, we can yeah. hear it louder. But if we're busy and we're like, we're at the DMV, I'm like, listen, I don't have time for this BS right now. I got to get my license done. Then I got to shoot over and get here. I got to grab my, you know, 12 boxes of toilet paper. Like I got stuff to do. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's interesting that we feel it on different levels based on, I don't know, like the permission we give it. For, um, it's really a focus issue or a focus mm -hmm. problem. So when you are focused on yourself, mm -hmm. that, panic attack, those waves of anxiety, those feelings of, of vulnerability and insecurity and danger, if you will, feel insurmountable because you are now focused on how, you, how do I feel now? How do I feel now? This is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. Right. When you could take your focus and vacuum it out from behind your ears and like blow it out your, your eyes and put it into the world, the DMV, the 12 box of toilet paper, whatever, you got to take the dog to the vet, your kid is sick. It's yeah. amazing to see people that even have 
the longest, what they would call the most severe, like agoraphobia or panic disorder, yeah. wind up in situations where their focus must be elsewhere. There's a sick relative. There's an yes. emergency. Something happens. I've had literally people who have been in fires, like literal fires, who will come back and tell the story to say, I, I didn't panic. Yeah, of course you didn't panic because you weren't focused on how you felt, which is the thing that you are afraid of in the end. So to just tie it back to the trauma thing, you have to do it all. But in the end, and, and this is where it gets, it ruffles some people's feathers. Like if you have become agoraphobic or you have these you know, phobias, like you're afraid to drive or go to work or the supermarket or you can't go to your kid's school concert, your trauma didn't make you afraid to drive the car. The day that you decided I can't drive the car because I'm afraid I'll have a panic attack, yeah. that's the day that it became an anxiety disorder and you have to work that. This method that I talk about matters there. This method is not going to resolve the issues that you brought to the table, maybe with your parents or, uh, you know, relationships or whatever, but you have to be able to, to see them as, as multiple problems you have going on at the same time. So this is interesting to me because how I quote unquote got over my eating disorder was I incorporated a mantra, which is I'm going to do it now and worry about it later. So okay. for example, I would say, you know, one of my rules was I can't eat when it's dark for whatever reason. And I know listening to this, it's like, wow, that's completely ridiculous. And you know what? It is. And I knew it and I still used it. So the day that I said I'm committed to recovery is the day that I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it now and worry about it later. If there is a later, and I think that's what the catch is, is do it and worry yeah. about it later. And you're saying there is no later. There is no heart attack. There is no pooping your pants on the subway. There is no going crazy and being committed to an insane asylum. There is none of these things that are going to happen. You are going to ride the wave and you are going to learn how resilient you are. And that that danger, the discomfort and the fear mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. always been real, but the danger that you would think is underneath it has never been real. It's never been real. Right. And the you and it's so funny because people will say like, yeah, but it feels so real. I understand that. And it will continue to feel real as long as you avoid it, escape it, run from it, try to soothe it. Uh oh, like I feel it coming on. I better get my lavender oil. I better snap a rubber band. I better get my coloring book you are teaching yourself that this is a real thing that you must escape from. When in reality, the best thing to do is take no evasive action whatsoever and learn that I didn't try to save myself, but I still wound up okay. Yeah. So that is huge. And I think, look, I mean, I have no experience with, with eating disorders, but they're similar. They're, mm -hmm. They have their own wrinkles, but they're similar to the things I talk about. In the end, you had to take a leap of faith and say, I'm going to eat this thing that I have not, I've refused to eat for the last six months. I'm going to eat at three o'clock in the afternoon when the sun is still out or whatever it is. Or I'm going to yeah. eat at eight o'clock at night when it's dark. That was terrifying, I'm sure. Yes, it was terrifying. And it right. was a, a hamburger that I hadn't had in 10 years. Okay. And it was you, terrifying. And you know what? It was like, you got to leap. You, you got to leap off of the high board if you're, if you're ever going to do it. Like there's no, it, I right. can't remember who says it, but it's like, you have to stop talking about it and do it. It's not the same right. thing. Like if you want to play football, right? You can't be like, well, I'm yeah. going to read a book about playing football and then I'm going to watch some games and I'm going to read some right. coaching manuals. Like you actually have to get out on the field and play. Yes. 
I, I can't read books about playing the guitar. I can't read the, the, you know, the life story of Eric Clapton or Joe Satriani learned to play the guitar. I could be inspired by those people, but I have to yes. ultimately pick up the guitar and really suck at it for a long time yes. until okay. I don't suck at it. Okay, so, so that's super important to, to recognize too that when you make that first leap of faith, first of all, you're leaping off a cliff. You don't know there's a net to catch you until right. you land in it. Right and, right. and you cannot, let's talk about mantras for a second. You know, those, so a mantra is something that you can use to direct your actions and find like to frame it in. Mm -hmm. But a mantra in the heat of fear is useless because like you said, you knew it was ridiculous to not eat the hamburger, but you still didn't eat the hamburger. Right, right. That part of our brain, back to the lizard brain, it does not know mantras. It does not know soothing. It doesn't know spirituality. It doesn't know grounding. It doesn't know healing. It only knows experience. That is it. It's a sucky situation, but that is the deck we have been dealt and we must play it. That's so true. if you're trying to use words, feelings, images, lyrics, music, sense, food to communicate with your anxiety, it ain't listening. It does right. not know any of those things. It's not like your dog. It's not like nope. you can comfort your lizard brain and put like nope. a doggy sweatshirt on it. It doesn't know. It doesn't know. It's, it doesn't it know. only knows experiences. So it builds up on those experiences and says, oh, hey, look at this. This is a new experience. I'm going to add it to my experience container Mm -hmm. So that when this comes up again, I can say, oh, well, you know what? Where this used to be true, actually, this happened. So I think we need to take that into account. That's exactly what it does. And so in the end, like you ate that hamburger at, you know, nine o'clock at night, double whammy hamburger in the dark or at, you know, at night. Mm -hmm. And then that was terrifying, but you wound up okay. And nothing bad happened. And then you did it again. It was still terrifying, maybe a little less then maybe a little less, maybe a, a little less. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And then after a while, like you, your lizard brain learns, and, and I'm sorry to keep using your hamburger now, uh, example here, but the same holds <laughs> true for panic attacks, driving, whatever it is. After enough repetition of this, where you do the thing, and by the way, you have to do the thing a specific way in a non-reactive way, right? which is a whole other thing we can talk about in another episode if we wanted to. But mm -hmm. after those repeated experiences, suddenly you learn like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of eating a hamburger anymore. There was a day that yeah. you realized like, oh, wow, eating hamburger isn't a problem anymore. Yes, there was. There was a day. And then, um, so I also want to clarify that I did it and I was afraid. Okay. So mm -hmm. what you're saying is you're going to, you're going to do it. You're going to take that drive, right? And you're going to be afraid when you take that drive. You're going to get your shaky ass legs in the car, sit down, start the car. You're going to be terrified. You're going to feel your heart start to palpitate and you're still going to do it. You're going to do it. And then the next time you're going to do it and you're not going to feel as bad. So you get to be afraid. Nobody's telling you. And maybe that's one of the reasons where it's like, well, I can't do this because I can't be afraid. Nobody's saying right. don't be afraid. No, you will be afraid. But you that's will be afraid. Yes. You have to be afraid. You have, you have to, be to experience the fear, right? You have to experience the fear. And so many people, geez, we could, we could go on hours and hours with this stuff, but so many people wind up in a situation where they judge it based on how they felt. Like I did that, Drew, I did that thing that you told me to do. And I, I was so afraid. Yeah. So that didn't yeah. work. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're missing the point. It's never what you, how you feel. It's always what you did. You must judge it based on what you did. What did you do? I drove, I ate the hamburger. I picked up my kid from school. Okay. And what happened? I was really afraid. It was terrible. I felt, no, 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 no. What happened? Oh, okay. I guess nothing Good. happened. I guess yeah. nothing. I guess. 
It's, it's anti. When it works, it's right. anticlimactic. That's what it's it is. so funny to, when you walk somebody through that that logic. When they're done, they they don't understand logic while they're in a panic, of course. But when they're done, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't use the phrase "it feels like" or "it felt like." Just tell me exactly what happened. Yeah. I went to get my my daughter. She got in the car. We drove home. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like that's what happened, right? And it's that's like oh, the light bulb. Like oh, okay, I get it now. So yeah, it, crazy. So it is crazy. And we could keep talking. And I know um, I have this habit with you of just having these elongated conversations because it's just so fun. But we do have to wrap. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show, sharing even more of yourself, talking about your latest books that became immediate bestsellers because people need you. And still you made time for the Sick Biz Buzz audience. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime, Hill. Anytime. Some people find the answer to what they are looking for and turn inward, keeping it to themselves and feeling that's good enough. Self-professed behavioral science nerd, Drew Linsalata said, that's not enough. If I am suffering, there are others who are suffering as well. Sharing his solution now has benefited nearly a million people. That's the number of podcast downloads he's looking at. If you're dealing with anxiety and it's tangling up your life, then you owe it to yourself to listen to Drew's podcast, The Anxious Truth, and check out his Facebook group, The Anxious Truth, That Anxiety Recovery Forum. Make sure you look for those specific words. We will also post links to both of his books, The Anxious Truth, a step-by-step -step guide to understanding and overcoming panic, anxiety, and agoraphobia. And book two, An Anxiety Story, How I Recovered from Anxiety, Panic, and Agoraphobia. We'll have those on the Sick Biz blog post for this podcast. So if you're struggling with that nasty anxiety demon, these tools are a must and use them in conjunction with each other. Not to mention, you want to get to know Drew. He is one of the nicest, realest people in my life. So I want you to know him too. And a final reminder to head over to sickbiz.com slash resources to check out the 75 different job ideas that can help you make money from home. The really cool thing is that this PDF was built in the SickBiz Facebook group by all the sick bizzers. So these are people sharing what they do to make money with you so you can make money too. How's that for awesome? That's it for today's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.